Kia ora, everyone. Good to see you. How's it going? You good? At least you guys voted for Lion King over Shrek. Every single time we do this, I have like these little minor freakouts that I can't worship with you as a congregation. Um, but fortunately, you make good decisions, so we're still friends. Except for you, Harrison. Um, but the rest of us are all friends. Hey, as we begin tonight, uh, I want to start off with a question. And so we can get a bit of uh, participation in this. If, in a perfect world, imagine that you've just won the lottery, right? So you're just rolling in cash. So much, so much money. And at the same time, imagine that you could talk your way into any job, literally any job that you wanted. So basically, you have the ability to shape your life however you wanted to. Don't worry about any restrictions. If you could picture what a really, really good life would look like, what would you be doing? What would you be doing? Shout it out. Just picture it. What would you be doing if you could have it anyway? Doesn't matter the job, doesn't matter the money. What would you be doing? What? Serving God. Good Christian. Awesome. Um, what else we got? If you could be doing anything that you could want to do, what would you be doing? Not working. Not working. Okay. <laughs> low bar. We've got low imagination. If you could be doing anything. If you could imagine life going anyway, what's something you'd love to be doing? Being in Foo Fighters. Someone with ambition. All right. Here we go. What else would you be doing? What? Travel? Traveling. Traveling, going anywhere you could, whenever you want to. Awesome. What other things? Professional sleeper. Professional sleeper. <laughs> it's not even like assignment season yet, is it? Um, all right. What else? Any, any other thoughts? Helping the less fortunate. There you go. Awesome. If it were me, so I've, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Uh, right now, I'm at the stage where, in a week's time, the church that I'm going to be starting over in Papamoa, it starts its services a week from today, which is crazy. Yeah, it's super exciting, um, but also terrifying. I'm also a father of two very energetic, very small children, and so my sleep quantities are, are very low, and my to-do list is very, very long. So if I could picture anything, it would be I would be able to pay someone, to look after my kids if they wake up in the middle of the night. And then as well, I would hire an administrator who would make all the decisions that I don't need to do anymore. They'd just take all the decision-making off my plate and they would show up and be like, in the morning, they'd say, Colin, go do this today. And that would be my entire job. That would be, that'd be the dream for me of what I could imagine my life looking like. And that's, for a lot of us, we'll have this picture in our head of what the blessed or the good life will look like, right? If, if I could have it anyway, there's something I'd love for life to look like this. I'd love for life to look like that. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that normally doesn't fit into our picture of the good life, which is confession. How many of you, when you pictured like this amazing life that you could do, how many of you pictured yourself regularly asking for forgiveness and confessing ways you've screwed up in that? Anyone? Anyone be like, yep, in my dream life, I mess up all the time. Anyone? Really? It's not something we often think about, um, particularly whenever I say the word confession. Maybe some of us would be like, oh, I love it, but chances are you're probably weird. Most of us, when we hear the word confession, it's like this, like it's this big old heavy thing, right? It's something that you end up doing if you've really, really screwed up, if you've really done something wrong. Then like Bernie talked about a couple of weeks ago, you kind of like a three-year-old kid, like skulk in, like... Sorry. 
whether we have to do that with people or whether we have to do that with Jesus, that same feeling is often there. Confession, we don't think of as something that is, is life-giving. We don't think of it as something that's really healthy. We don't think of it as something that's healing. It's like this ugly blip in our otherwise good life radar. The problem with that is that that's not the picture we really get from Scripture, nor is that really the picture that we get from faith. Could you imagine, actually, that so much of Scripture, when it talks about repentance and confession and asking for forgiveness, it presents it as something that brings life, is something that brings joy. In fact, there's a psalm that we're going to be looking at that finishes with rejoicing. Like, how many of you, when you think of having to ask for forgiveness and eat some humble pie, you think, man, I can't wait to be rejoicing at the end of this? No, you're like, this is going to be horrible, and I'm only doing it because someone's making me, right? But Scripture presents a very, very different picture of a blessed life, a good life, wholly integrating with a life of confession, of prayer, of asking for forgiveness, of saying I'm sorry over and over and over again. And so tonight, what we're going to do is really, really simple. We're simply just going to read one psalm together and walk it through. Because this one psalm just does an amazing job of helping us to rework our bad thoughts around confession, our bad thoughts around asking God for forgiveness. It helps tear down some of our bad thinking and can rebuild us in a way that hopefully means when we think about confession or think about what do we do when we fail, it doesn't become this downward spiral which means we isolate ourselves, but it gives us a way forward, and a way forward that could bring us life, that could bring us hope, now, wouldn't that be nice, eh? Maybe. Maybe it's just me. So today we're going to be looking through um, Psalm 32. Um, so if you have your Bibles, this would be a great time to pull them out because we're literally just going to be walking through the psalm together. And I hope is that as we go through this after tonight, um, I mean, you probably won't. Most of you guys are really great. But maybe within the next week or so, if you fail or sin or do something wrong, maybe it's just me. But if that happens to you, then maybe Psalm 32 could be something you go back to and read through to help us develop language around confession and prayers of forgiveness. And so Psalm 32 starts, written by David, and it's a really, really simple psalm. It starts this way, blessed, and now that blessed word, it's like a picture of the good life. And often when we hear that word in scripture, if we're good Christians that go to church all the time, we'll think blessed Oh, it's probably something in the Bible. So blessed is the one who walks in the way of the Lord. Blessed is the one who loves righteousness. Blessed is the one who serves the, serves the poor. But David here takes it in a radically different direction. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, again, our culture... Um, Asking for forgiveness is not something that we are particularly fond of, A. Like, if you could imagine a cultural mantra always going around saying, I'm sorry, is not something that's highly valued in arts or film or movies at this stage. I mean, what's like the mantra of our generation? Like, forget the haters, only God can judge us. Miley Cyrus reference 2012. Stick with her through the good times and the bad, right? But that's that mantra. Like, forget what anyone else says, only God can judge me. If I've done something wrong, that's their problem, it's not mine. If they don't like how I responded to something, well, they gotta deal with it. I'm not gonna do anything to change it. They've gotta get over themselves, because only God's gonna judge me at the end of the day. 
That would be the mantra our culture pushes over and over and again. And what's like the unforgivable sin in today's society? It's to go up and say to someone, hey, maybe what you're doing isn't good. Because what's the thing you're immediately going to get back? Who are you to judge me? Who are you to say I've done something wrong? And so we have to be aware that in our culture, in our society, there's this constant expectation for all of us to present ourselves as, nope, I haven't done anything wrong. It's your problem. Nope, I haven't messed anything up. It's your fault. David here presents a very different picture. As opposed to saying a good life is one where you never have to apologize, David is saying, blessed is the one who screws up all the time. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are multiple. Blessed is the one who has failed over and over and over again, yet whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one who knows how to live a life that constantly says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Blessed is the one whose life reflects this pattern. And David goes further to explain why is this, because everyone will be asking, why is that a more blessed life? It seems better if we could just push it on and everyone pretend to be perfect all the time. David goes on to say this. See, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now, um, whenever I read this, the picture that I often have is uh, when I first moved out of home and I went to go join Youth with a Mission, um, I was like a new young guy living out on my own, and I thought like, man, this is really cool. I'm going to feed myself and have to clothe myself and learn how to do my laundry and all that jazz. Um, one of the things I was not um, particularly good at was um, uh, housekeeping or cleaning activities. Um, I could do, I really enjoyed cooking, um, but I wasn't so good at the follow-up after said endeavor. So I'd often cook lots of stuff, and then I'd put it away into containers, and I'd kind of hide it away in different parts of the fridge, or maybe I would just eat off of my plate and then like tuck it underneath my bed or leave the container and open in the back of the fridge and think, oh, I'll get to that later. And then maybe a day goes by and then a couple of days goes by and then maybe a couple more days go by and then your old dish has, you know, gained a life of its own. I've called him Brian because he feels like part of the family now. And it's this nasty thing that's starting to smell, and people come over and be like, what's wrong with your room? And you're like, oh, it's just Brian. Don't worry about it. And like, it becomes this long thing. But often when we have these nasty things, when we hide them away, when we put them away for a long period of time, what happens? They rot. They fester. They begin to just consume themselves, and it turns into this nasty Brian that smells up and stinks up your entire house. And it's the same truth for us. When we've sinned, when we've done wrong, the longer and the longer that we hold it in, it begins to fester within us. It begins to, to corrupt and to destroy, and it, 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 it breaks down our thinking. It breaks down who we feel like we are. Have any of you, for example, any of you ever told a lie and then kind of got half caught out on the lie but not fully caught out? You know that sense of anxiety that builds within you as you have to try and keep the story covered up? It's like, well, no, it wasn't like that, and you have to tell it around this way, and someone's like, well, what didn't you say this? And you're like, oh, no, i got to tell it like this. And you begin to feel that burden within you. This is what happens within us. The longer that we hold in our sin, and the longer that we try not to tell anyone about it, when we try not to talk to God about it, it begins to fester and weigh within us, and it begins to sap our strength. It begins to sap our energy, and we no longer have capacity to do many things. 
I mean, so many of you will understand that too. You end up on like that merry-go-round of like, so for example, maybe, maybe you've done a sin, right? You've done something and you're like, oh, I'm kind of sorry. I don't want to, uh, so you don't try and deal with it. But then it gets kind of bad. And then eventually you're like, okay, it's bad enough. I'm going to go tell Jesus about it. And then you repent. And then you, two days later, you do the same thing. And then you go to Jesus and be like, oh, Jesus, I'm really sorry about it. And then two days later, you do the same thing again. And then you hold on to it for a while and you go to Jesus. And you go around in the circle and circle and circle until long enough after a while, you're like, I just can't be bothered asking for forgiveness again because I'm just going to do it again, Jesus. And you and Jesus end up in this mutual agreement that we're just not going to talk about this thing that I do. Anyone else? No? Just me? Cool. Because um, what happens is we carry it and it festers within us. It, it grows within us. And then you get this burden of anxiety of trying to hold on to it and present yourself as good, present yourself as competent, present yourself as if you know everything is going right. But that is exhausting. And in fact, I reckon that so much of the anxiety that's tied to specifically our generation, my generation, a lot of it stems from this. It's this desire to keep presenting myself as competent, presenting myself as good, when deep down inside I know I am flawed. And my bones groan. I'm tired. My strength is sapped as if in the heat of summer. And so David moves on, realizing that that is no way to live. Holding on to your sin, trying to pretend to be perfect, is no way to live. Whoop, that's not it. Do we have the next slide? Verse, should be uh, verse 5, Psalm 32, verse 5. Should be up there, or if you check me back on my slides. Ah, perfect. Thank you. So it jumps onto there, and it says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David moves on to say, Look, this caring of this perception of me as a good person, this holding on like I've done nothing wrong was too great for me. And so I went and I confessed my sin to you. But now here's the fancy thing was that when David talks about um, confession, I think this is often one of the problems that we have is that often we don't do this confession. We kind of think we know what we're talking about, but maybe we don't. In that when someone asks you to ask forgiveness, when you're a kid, right? When you imagine your mom saying, go tell that person you're sorry. Usually you always apologize for the most minimal thing you possibly could, right? So if you got into a fight with your sibling, you smacked them upside the head, kicked them in the stomach, and then stole their hot dog, and your mom only saw you stealing their hot dog, and she's like, go back and apologize for stealing the hot dog. And then you go back and you're like, sorry I stole your hot dog. When inside you're like, yeah, but I slapped you upside the head, so who really won, didn't I? Yeah. We do that, eh? When we do confession, even in that moment where we're supposed to be like going to someone and saying, I'm sorry, I messed up. Even that desire, that drive to present to ourselves as something that we're not, even there is common. And so when we go on that merry-go-round of confession with God of, oh, I've done something, I'm sorry, oh, I've done something, I'm sorry, one of the problems that you get into this religious cycle of confession is because we're often confessing for the most minimal thing that we could do. We're like, I'm sorry I just did this one thing, but we're not actually spending time to actually be like, but why did I do that? If you struggle with pornography, you can say, oh, I'm really sorry that I was online looking at that. 
But if you don't spend the time to realize, why are you doing that? Why am I taking time out of this? Why is this my go-to? When I'm weary, when I'm exhausted, why is this the place that I go to feel fulfillment? When I'm insecure, why is it that I lie to try and present a better version of myself? You see the difference? If you're lying to try and skew events to make them look better, to make yourself look better, to go back and say, I'm sorry, I'm lied, I lied, is only like surface level repentance. But David, when he goes on, he says, look, I acknowledge my sin to you and I didn't cover up my iniquity. See, when we come to God in confession, it's not about trying to present a part of yourself that's better or do the minimum possible requirements to say, okay, God, maybe now I'm back in your good graces. The act of confession is telling the truth. It's simply telling the truth and not putting any filters, any bars ahead of it. It's doing the deep work to acknowledge who you really, really, really are. So when you engage that, so say you're lying in different situations to, mani- to manipulate it to make yourself look better, it's taking the moment to say, sorry, I'm deeply insecure. I was terrified that what you were going to do was going to reflect badly upon me, and so I lied to protect myself. You hear how that's different? Because you're no longer trying to hold on to control of who people will see you to be. And we often do that with God and with others. We always try to maintain this small shred of, I still get, con- get to control how they look at me. But real confession opens up your hands and says, I have, I have no control. I messed up. I'm not trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. I'm not trying to be better. I've done this wrong. I've messed up. I'm insecure. I'm afraid. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I've done it wrong. I do not hide my iniquity. I do not cover it up, and I confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's the most beautiful part of the psalm. Hear how how quickly this happens, and you forgave. It's not like, and you thought about forgiving, or it took some time for you to get used to the idea, and then you forgave. See, there's this amazing thing that we, if we only understood it fully, how our lives would be transformed is understanding God's forgiveness for us. Because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done, he has come in our place. He has seen the very worst that humanity has to offer and he has redeemed it. And so anytime we go to God saying, look, this is the most horrid, nasty, infected part of me and I'm so ashamed about it and I don't want anyone to see it and I'm so afraid that you're going to reject me, immediately God says, I see you. And I love you. I see you for your very worst. I see you at your most insecure. And I love you. I see you at all the things you're afraid to let anyone else know. I see you in the middle of the night when you are terrified and afraid and alone. I see you and I love you. It's that knowledge of being fully known for who you are. Not being known as the perception of who people think you are. Not being known for the projection that you like people to imagine who you are. Being fully known for who you are. That is something that can only come through confession. And that is true freedom. And that's why David moves on and says this, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while, they may be, while you may be found. 
Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Can you feel the relief in David's writing as he moves through this progression? Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. When I tried to hold on, I could not take it because it was burning within me. So I opened up and let you see me as I am. I confessed and did not hide anything. And therefore, let everyone pray to you. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and you surround me with songs of deliverance. This is what the blessed life is all about. It's not about trying to have everyone love you for your projection of who you are. Because that is not blessed. That's going to cause a load of anxiety and pressure that you will never be able to carry. You will break down at some point if you are forever trying to present an image of yourself to the world of your best self. That's not where freedom is found. The gospel says it's actually in the complete opposite. It's in going to God and others with the very worst of who you are, with the things you are most ashamed of, with the things you are most insecure about. And when you lay that at the feet of Jesus and you see and you hear his love and acceptance of you, even in that moment, that is a freedom like no other. That is a life that is transformative, which is why David keeps on saying, you are my hiding place. I guarantee you're going to keep on going back to that relationship if you know what it feels like to be fully known, yet still fully loved. That no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone in it, no matter how long you've tried to cover up, no matter how many different projections or images or masks of yourself that you've tried to put in front, to know that God sees beneath all of that and still loves you. You'll never run from that relationship. You will always go back to it. And that is a place you can only get to through confession. There's no other way to get there. There's no other way to experience God's love like that other than opening up yourself fully and letting it in, which is terrifying. Granted, I understand. I'm not like trying to be like, this is easy. It's not. It's terrifying because it's the things that we're all most scared about. But the gospel is not an easy thing. But it does bring life. And I promise you, you will find life when you open up your heart to God and let him into those deepest places and still feel his love even there. And so David moves on in this psalm. And it actually takes a hard left turn. He says, look, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And then he switches and starts talking about horses. Uh, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. (laughs) Gotta love the Bible, eh? It goes from this beautiful picture of God's love and forgiveness to be like, now let's talk about horses. Um, now, I, granted, I'm not a great um, horse person. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with them. In fact, they usually terrify me. Um, I grew up in the city, uh, and so animals are big and scary. But from what I understand, 
of horses and how they interact is, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but horses and mules, when you're riding them, they don't understand the lay of the road. They don't understand the path. They can't see the dangers. They can't see what's happening in front of them. They're just kind of walking. And so imagining you're riding your horse on a cliff, right? You're riding him, it's like a steep little cliff. And then your horse is like, hey, look at that cool grass on the side of the cliff. And so he just starts like moving over to the edge of the cliff. And you're sitting on the horse and you're like, well, this is bad. This, this isn't going to work out well for me. But you're like, horsey, move. And horsey's going straight towards the edge of the cliff. And you're like, horsey, move. But horsey doesn't understand. Horsey's headed towards the cliff. And so you're like, horsey, move. And he doesn't move. So then you grab the reins and then you yank them to the right. And now the reins have this big bridle that's in the middle of their mouth. So when you pull on it, it's grinding, it's causing pain, it's causing discomfort. And so the horse has to reluctantly leave the amazing bit of grass behind and turn away from the edge of the cliff and go back onto the path. So what David is saying here is that so often with confession, when it comes to our sin, don't be like the horse when you do it. The horse has no understanding of what's going on and the horse only turns from the bad path when you have to use pain or discomfort to go there. So if you keep on having to use pain to shift you away from the bad path, you're gonna keep causing yourself more and more hurt. What David is saying is don't go to repentance just because you're afraid of your bad consequences. Don't go to God just because you're at the very, very end of your rope all the time saying, well, that's the last possible moment and now I feel really uncomfortable and I'm, I'm upset that people are gonna be upset with me so now I'll go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. You can do that, but you're going to be like dumb horsey, and you're just going to cause yourself more pain. Instead, be aware that confession isn't something that you go to because pain is leading you there. Go there because that is where life is found. Open yourself up to God because that is where true freedom is found, which is why David finishes with this last bit. Many are the woes of the wicked for those who keep wanting to go off the edge of the cliff. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who keeps going back to him in confession, saying, God, I have sinned. Help me. Forgive me. Lead me. Guide me. And when you understand that, then, then truly you can rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. And sing, all you who are upright in heart. Because you can have joy when you've been through that journey. You've been at your lowest. You've opened yourself up to God and you have sensed and understood his love and his forgiveness of you. It's a life that doesn't draw a line between the good life and then confession is a heavy thing. It's one that integrates the two, saying that the good life, the freedom of God is only found down the road of confession. Look, at the end of the day... For so many of us, we are carrying so much baggage on our shoulders. Because as much as we like to pretend that we're perfect, as, like that we, as, like as, we much, as much as we like to pretend that we're good Christians and we show up here on a Sunday night and we can sing, yeah, Jesus, I am who you say I am. It's great. We're lovely. The truth is so many of us here are carrying incredibly heavy burdens. Most of us have failed multiple times this week. Most of us have failed multiple times today. We've sinned in so many ways. Whether then that's the way we relate to our friends, our relationships, our family, our neighbors. Whether that's through the lies that we tell to make ourselves look better. Whether that's what we do on our browsing history. Whether what, that's how we manage our money. 
and how we manage our money in our relationships and our marriages, we all carry baggage. And it, it would break my heart if every time you come into church, there's no space to find relief for that because we're all trying to just pretend that the good life is just imagining God's going to be happy with us as we are. Freedom is only found in coming to him. These burdens that you carry on your back and on your shoulders, that anxiety that sits within your gut because you're terrified what might happen if people actually figure out what you really like, what you really think, what you really do, that pressure is not something you should have to carry. And it's certainly not something you should have to carry alone. The gospel provides a way out. So if I can invite the band to come up, we're going to just sing one last song. But my heart is for tonight. If you are carrying that burden, if you are carrying the weight of sin within your life, if there there are things that you've engaged with this week that you are ashamed of, that you know, you know you've done wrong and it, it, you're frustrated with it. You wish you hadn't done it. You've tried to pretend you didn't do it and you're trying to move on like everything's okay. But if that's you tonight, if you're feeling that weight, if you're feeling that heaviness, please know God is here. And there is a way forward. It's through opening yourself up and saying, God, this is who I am. This is what I've done. I will not hide my transgressions from you. I will not cover them up, but I will confess my sin to you. I will repent of my iniquity and my transgressions, and I will let you see me as I really, really am. If that is you tonight, there is freedom for you. There is space for you. There is hope for you because God's love can reach even there. So can we stand as I pray? Jesus, you know us. You know what's going on in each inside, inside each and every one of our hearts. And Lord, despite our own best efforts to try and cover up our own sin from other people, despite our own efforts to try and cover up our own sin from you, despite our own, our best efforts to cover up our sin from ourselves, trying to block it out into an area where we don't think about, putting it into some dark corner of our minds that we just try to move on from as if it doesn't affect us anymore. God, I thank you that you still see us. You know us. Though we are so ashamed of who we are, God, I'm, I'd be terrified if people could see me as I really am. Lord, we'd all be terrified if people could know what we really, really thought. God, we'd be so worried what people would do to us if they knew what we really, really did. But Jesus, you still see us. And you call us forward.
you always call us forward. And you promise that when we open up our lives to you, when we open up our hearts and say, God, this is who I am, this is what I've done, you forgave. And you always forgive. And you always walk with us. God, would you give us the courage to step out of our own personal little prisons that hold us back? God, would you give us the courage to lay down our own perfect image of ourselves? Would you give us the courage to die to that? To die to ourselves, to die to our perfect image of ourselves, to die to our masks and our hiddenness? God, give us the courage to die to that. give us the courage to open up our hearts and say, God, this is who I am. Look, my heart is just burning because I know we carry these burdens. I know you carry those burdens. I carry these burdens and I don't want you to leave tonight still having to hold on to this. Well, what if I don't want people to really know? I don't want you to hold on to this image of perfection because it's gonna be a chain around your neck that you will never, ever move on from. And so tonight, if you are at a space where you just need to confess, where you need to open up your heart and say to God, God, this is who I am. Would you come forward and stand here with me? Because it's not enough to try and hide. I promise you there is freedom here. When you open up your heart and say, God, this is who I am. If you need to open up and give God that space, then as the band sings this song, just come here and be real with God. Because we can be real with each other. No one has to hold on to this image. And so as the band sings, if you need to do some business with God, if you need to confess, why don't you come forward here? There's a space for you. And here you will find freedom and hope in Him. Because that freedom and that life only comes, it only comes once you've opened up your heart to God and said, this is the reality of who I am. And so if this is you, if you need that space to confess, can I encourage you, take that step take that step out from your chair that says, God, I don't want to go on this merry-go-round of sin over and over again. I don't want to go on these same routes over and over again. I don't want to pretend to be anything else. If that's you, and as the band sings, why don't you come and just take some space here and be real with God?